This episode of African Tech Conversations is brought to you by GoDaddy. Buy your own domain name, build your site, or use any of GoDaddy's business tools and save 30% at trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. That's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. Aline Blabo is managing partner at both TBL Mirror Fund and at Safaricom Spark Venture Fund. She's worked in the venture capital and private equity sector in both Europe and Africa for the last 14 years or so, gaining loads of experience with new investments in portfolio management, negotiation and structuring of investment rounds, and deal flow generation. Her latest undertaking is something called Africa Tech Ventures, a fund focused on investing in and accelerating the growth of disruptive tech-enabled startups and businesses in sub-Saharan Africa. Alina and her team at Africa Tech Ventures are currently in the process of fundraising and on the lookout for investors interested in collaboration. This is African Tech Conversations. Helene Blaboer, thank you so much for speaking to me. You're welcome. <laughs> now, uh, I'd like you to think back to the worst dream you had as a child. Okay. <laughs> okay. And if you can, and if you don't mind, please share it okay. with us. The worst dream I had. Or is it at least as much as you yeah. remember? Um, do I remember my, my dreams as a child? Um, I think my, my dreams, um, uh, as far as I can, I can remember, uh, my dreams have always been around... Uh, in in my childhood, <laughs> around my teeth dropping out, <laughs> and, and really? uh, yeah, just falling. I, I was a very adventurous child, so I fell a lot, and it, my my teeth would fall out in one of those. And <laughs> and the other is around, um, yeah, being a bit bit more older child, <laughs> around uh, always uh, being late for everything. So that uh, people would have already left without me. <laughs> so those are the two. I can. Wow. I, I have not really had very, very, uh, you know, bad dreams overall. <laughs> yeah. Well, they sound pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> At least terribly <laughs> enough. So um, join me on the couch as we psychoanalyze <laughs> those, those dreams. dreams. Okay. <laughs> looking back, looking back, what is happening in the background in terms of your subconscious mm -hmm. to, to, for, for you to have those kind of dreams? Let's start with the teeth first. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I've never analyzed my dreams that way. Uh, in the background of my conscience, so I think in the background of my mind is more that um, as a girl should probably take better care of myself than uh, I, I was. Mm -hmm. So I was more, you know... Play, playing outside with boys and uh, and subconsciously maybe thought I uh, I knew people thought I shouldn't. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Wow. Wow, that is that is a that's that's quite an insight. So I mean, why that's pretty striking to me is because in many respects you still kind of play with boys, as it were. Given how you you most of your career, if not all of it, has been spent in pretty much male-dominated spaces. Yeah, definitely. I think I've always been uh, attracted to, to the same kind of work. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't mind, uh, you know, areas to be male-dominated or I usually don't really 
notice. And so then there's the matter of you dreaming about being late and being left behind. Uh, again, the Dutch are notoriously, uh, well, they shouldn't be notorious, are well known for their organizational skills. In many respects, um, Amsterdam is the center of the, the, the maritime world. Um, Singapore might beg to differ, but um, it's certainly, I think, culturally ingrained in, in Dutch culture, uh, being organized and, and on time, as it were, and that kind of thing. Why do you think, why do you think you'd uh, dream often of being left behind or not being on time and then being left yeah. behind? Yeah, well, I think more, more uh, sort of more recent um, or, or sort of from, from the time I went to university, I think it's more out of my, my life choices where I think the fear is that um, I'm being left behind socially by my friends who might have opted different things in life um, where I'm usually quite busy with lots of things and uh, and miss out on a lot of the, the social events. So I, I think when I sleep, I uh, try to uh, <laughs> catch up, but then I'm always late. <laughs> so uh, I see. And so how do you typically deal with the fear of missing out? Yeah, well, there, um, having moved to Kenya really uh, uh and, and actually I've, I've just recently moved back to the netherlands but uh yeah living in kenya for 10 years have has has really helped because people are um uh yeah uh, much less uh demanding on on social level so uh much more easygoing so everything's possible and you, you know social events are usually organized uh, spontaneously, <laughs> um, right. and um, um, yeah, I think uh, uh, just Kenyans overall are are much less uh, stressed. So, um, so I, I didn't really have um, yeah. I think I think that's that's been a great insight in life of of how you want to live your life and um, and the choices you make. So um, yeah, so I think that's that's being uh, my my rescue what uh, took you back to holland uh, my children they they had to go to school here um let's talk about your children a little bit how old are they they're uh, eight and nine how different is the world they're coming up in they're growing up in are they boys girls they're two girls how different do you think their experience at being eight and nine is relative to your being eight and nine uh, the internet um mobile phones uh, you know, which were they, they can't believe that, that that wasn't there when I grew up, and um, and with that the way they handle information, and also uh, you know uh, I think they are much younger, uh, realizing that uh, their parents aren't always true, <laughs> and they can quickly countercheck, um, and and they will. Um, wow. so, uh, so I think that's, um, very different. I think the, on, on the other hand, probably less, less independent because, because, you know, you can always reach people, ask questions and, and hence less, uh, you know, often dealing with situations where there's nobody to ask. You just have to solve it yourself. So do you remember, uh, feeling, feeling far more, able to interact with the world around you than you sense your children are because of technology at their age? Um, I don't know if I feel, but I, I think uh, parents uh, 
give children, have to give children more confidence and because they can't always know where they are. Um, so I feel that um, the parents are just much more, um, yeah, having much more oversight um, over their children. So I'm not sure if my children feel different per se. Yeah, so I think that's on the one hand. On the other hand, I think they are growing up in a much more um, global environment um, than I, you know, than I did, of course. So having lived in in Kenya for ten years, um, and I think the amount of children in in their environment, also coming back to the Netherlands, where initially I was afraid they would be the only ones who, you know, had had not not been in the village for for years, but they are just. You know, uh, every year, new children coming, new children into the class that have come from abroad. Um, so, um, so in that sense, yeah, I think more children who have uh, experienced living outside of the Netherlands and and experienced different cultures, um, and Netherlands have being a much more, um, yeah, diverse country than it was when I when I uh, grew up. I think it's definitely a big difference. And so you do. Um, so I, I take it you, you grew up in Netherlands for the for the for the most part. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay, and um, in terms of you know back to the theme of dreams, um, what what sort of dreams are you having now? Typically, um, uh, good or bad? Like what what's uh, firstly, are you the type of person who remembers what kind of dreams you have? Um, I, I'm not one of those people. I very rarely remember what I dream about, uh, and I, and I don't ask these questions because I I, I I think they're just an interesting way to 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 to, to probe your 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 mind space, and not because of you know any superstition or anything like that. But what are you typically dreaming about these days, or whether whether you, whether when you're asleep or maybe perhaps even just daydreaming? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so I I I also I don't really remember my dreams anymore. It's, it's either I I lie awake <laughs> and I can't. Really? Do you uh, have trouble sleeping? Yeah, sometimes I do. So when um, you know, uh, I, I usually say you know, investing in businesses where you're really closely involved, it's like having uh, you know adding uh, additional children who uh, keep you awake when they're not doing well. Sure. Um, <laughs> so, so, and when when I then do fall asleep, I usually you know black out. So, <laughs> yeah. So, so I uh, would, um, yeah, I would would sometimes lie awake, uh, uh, worrying a bit over companies, and um, yeah, and then I sp- I spend a lot of time in in planes, of course. So I sort of yeah live uh, between Netherlands and Kenya now, and. Right. Um, so I spend, yeah. So my trips, uh, going going to Kenya, I usually, uh, um, yeah, spend a lot of time sort of daydreaming, um, which is which is always good, and and that's more sort of yeah, my hopes for um, uh, where you know all my past efforts will lead to, uh, which is uh, you know ra- raising this this bigger bigger fund that can really really invest in in uh, early stage businesses. Uh, right. Yeah. Right, right, and we're going to get to some of those aspirations in, in a minute. I, I'm just curious to know uh, what sort of role models you had growing up. Um, who would you have looked to 
in terms of modeling the career you would you would later have or did you pretty much just write your own script the whole way uh no i i was very lucky uh my dad was also in venture capital um and really you're you're second generation in this business yeah. <laughs> yes so he set up one of the first um venture capital funds in in uh, the netherlands and um uh so so i remember as a child i just loved uh the fact that every you know time every dinner he had a different story about a different company and he would take me uh you know during holidays he would take me along and although he had uh, definitely not um uh, you know he didn't have the same plans for me he wanted me to become a doctor or then when i announced that i was going to study economics he said well then at least become an accountant or any profession where as a as a woman you could can stop for a while if you you know want to and um so so he had not um he had definitely not planned for me to get into venture capital but and uh, economics at the time wasn't exactly the most um fashionable b- business subject you could pick at the time clearly uh no definitely <laughs> yeah Funny how that's changed, right? What what make what make um I mean there's so many think pieces out there on on why economics uh graduates are some of the the most sought after um by you know, across sector, you know, across sectors with its finance and in the startup mm-hmm. world certainly, um in the private sector in, in the public sector as well. Why why is it such a hot thing to, to, to have under your belt these days in twenty sixteen? interesting question. I when I studied economics, so the more fashionable thing to do was business, which was a little bit of economics and a lot, a lot of other th- things a little bit. And my belief was always that, you know, uh, you should try and challenge yourselves as, yourself as much as possible during your studies, um, because that probably is the last time you're, you'll, you'll do it <laughs> and where you can really show that, you, you know, you can excel in, in certain things. Get, having that experience of 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 excelling in in certain subjects with which then for me also you know i wanted them to be relevant so that i could um use it anywhere in the world uh because i yeah i just before university i'd lived in france for a year and uh, yeah definitely didn't want to stay in in the netherlands um so i think economic so that uh, probably that's so economics being applicable you know contrary to 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 law, uh, you know, even doctors, you can't just easily become a doctor elsewhere. Um, you know, you can apply it everywhere. And then you, you just learn how to to think and uh, uh, analyze um, and, uh, and and question, which is which you will also learn when you do law, for example. But um but yeah, just getting so much. But, but less so than when you study so. yeah. something like finance or accounting or yeah. something. Yeah. So, and I think it's where I see it relevant is is um, in Kenya, where you know talent is very scarce, and and and, and you know most people will will study in Kenya. Um, but the um, universities or the, uh, the, the way they they teach their uh, students is just so different from from how we've learned how to study. So they're they're not really taught how to question and to analyze. Um, so it's uh, so I think those those parts are probably most most important. And if you have those skills, then yeah, people will will hire you. 
Right. And so you're, you're the managing partner of two uh, rather important uh, venture funds, uh, Safaricom Spark Venture Fund, as well as um, the TBL Mirror Fund. Like, you know, allow me into, you know, like, let me under the hood of how the idea for a fund actually um, germinates into, you know, what everyone starts to see as it starts to operate and, 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 and bring on investment and disperse investment, et cetera. Oh, well, attract investors and perhaps disperse investment. And uh, Talk me through that entire process and, uh, as someone who's never been part of it. How does, it, how does something like the TBL Mirror Fund start? Typically, so TBL Mirror Fund uh, st- started, uh, and I think both funds started with, with you know, uh, different reasons. Um, but TBL Mirror Fund was started by myself and 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 my business partner because we we both believed that um, you know back in the day, so this was two thousand and six, that uh, you know when 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 interacting with entrepreneurs who um you know who wanted to grow their business um at that point in time there were there were a lot of organizations you know ngo type of organizations who were providing mentorships or linkages to uh you know businesses outside and and a lot of assistance but in practice practi- you know they, they actually just also needed money to money to grow and that kind of capital uh, both, you know, debt and equity for for SMEs was just not available at the time, um, and and for me coming from a venture capital background, uh, where where I'd worked in 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 the industry in the Netherlands, um, you know, uh, having seen that when you provide uh, when you become a shareholder, um, your your interests and 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 you structured well, your interests are really aligned with. With that entrepreneur, and you will, you know, will, you will do what you can to also provide the support. Um, so that's that's um, so that, that was a gap in the market. Um, and uh, coming from the Netherlands, there was uh, Netherlands Netherlands was definitely at the forefront of um, of, of people who uh, were shifting from donating money to NGOs to then wanting to actually know what what that money really. Did where you know what what happened with that money? How did it help uh, solve certain problems? Um, so the, the, they demanded more transparency, and, and the next step was then well, actually, um, how can we make it really sustainable? And and more and more to believe that actually investing the money uh, commercially was was uh, in many many areas uh, the best way. So, so we managed to raise money from a group of uh, 70 private investors. And then eventually FMO also came, came in, um, who, um, yeah, bought into our story and also believed that, that investing, uh, you know, into businesses and help them grow would, would, uh, both gave them a good return, but also would, would basically, um, uh, also help create, uh, impact. And were target were African investments always uh, your planned targets in terms of these investments, or was that something that evolved? No, for TBL was always so um, was always the target. So I'd worked in yeah. investing in Europe, US, Israel, with a fund in the Netherlands um, for a couple of years, and then um, 
but but had actually done that because I wanted to learn learn venture capital uh, to then move on to um, doing that in emerging markets where um, yeah that just um, felt like filling a gap more um, and, uh, and and so I moved to Kenya in 2005 to to set up uh, this fund. And do you remember which uh, uh, gaps in the market specifically you had your eye on then and how different um, the focus of, of your investment activities might be now? Yeah. So so the gaps then, uh, so there was this real opportunity in East Africa, especially where, you know, it being a real hub um, uh, for for businesses, uh, lots of entrepreneurs, lots of um, SMEs. And then at that point in time, there was only uh, bank debt available for, you know, larger businesses that uh, had lots of security. Uh, there was lots of microfinance, you know, small microfinance loans available. And there was there were a couple of larger private equity uh, players, um, which are, you know, like CDC, uh, Aureus at the time, but really maybe a handful, uh, not more. So get so access to equity when you would only need, you know, around one million dollars uh, was just not not there. So that was the gap, um, and and then all yeah, uh, and all these larger private equity houses uh, were looking at a relatively small pool of, of larger deals. Um, so so that was the gap at the time. If you look at now, um, of course, lots has happened. Um, so at, th- at that time, there were maybe four to five private equity plays. Um, I'm, I, I chair the um, Europe, the uh, East Africa Venture Capital Association, and we have um, f- 50 members. Um, you know, 40 of which are funds that are based in, in you know have an office in Kenya. Um, so it's really grown, and uh, that started with the growth of lots of private equity. Um, funds, so investing in existing businesses, um, and um, um, most still focusing on relatively larger deals, but but you know moving down a little bit, so from uh, ten million dollar plus to also uh, five, you know, around two and a half to five million dollar kind of deals. Um, and um, uh, so, so what, what you now see is that there's so much capital, which is chasing still a relatively amount, a relatively small amount of deals. Um, there is there is still a gap at the level where we were at TPL Mirror Fund, sort of one million dollar deals. Um, so we haven't managed to uh, spur huge growth there because the money that's out there to invest in funds like ours. Is still mainly um, development finance, um, institution money, and uh, and they just prefer to invest in larger funds in doing le- relatively larger deals because then they can co-invest alongside those funds, and you know co-investing mm-hmm. alongside a one million dollar deal is just not interesting for them, um, and um, so so there's still still a gap in that area, and it's extremely hard to raise money for for that kind of funds. And then, um, and then, what has happened as well uh, over last years is that there are more and more investors also focusing at even earlier stage, uh, sort of hundred thousand uh, dollar kind of investments into startups. Seed stage, and then especially in the IT. Yeah, so we have Silicon Savannah uh, in 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 Kenya, 
uh, with all the uh, all the incubators and uh, and lots lots of um, things happening around there and uh, lots of investors. Now, if you look at the, at the gap in that area is that there are uh, no real um, or maybe only one or um, real venture capital fund that's actually investing into those businesses in various stages. So what will happen is that there's lots of funding available in um, sort of the seed stage. but and, uh, uh, and then when this business comes to a series A, um, you know, most investors will say, well, no, we, you know, we will invest a little bit. But uh, yeah, the seed stage might be half a million dollar and series A three and a half. And there, uh, you know, a lot of companies have difficulty raising money. Um, and uh, yeah. So in, dire- in a way, you're sort of saying that um, anyone taking on seed funding currently is probably being set up to fail unless um, by some miracle they scale so fast that they almost uh, they almost what uh, grow by several multiples and and qualify for the next tier and almost skip a tier of of, of, of funding. Yeah, absolutely. So either you're so there are a couple of bi- uh, companies, of course, who who manage to do to 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 do this, uh, but they're just extremely clever and extremely well connected to fundraise. So you know, Mcopa, Andela, and uh, but it's part almost part of their business model. That they know they have to raise this all this money, and they they know they have to uh, get the kind of investors and capital behind them that can take them through those levels. But a lot of businesses, yeah, just ra- you know raise the money, take the best valuations they and terms they can, but don't really question if those investors will then also be be coming through in the next round. And that's I think what most entrepreneurs who I talk to say they regret sort of, okay, now, you know, I'm, I'm one year ahead and I have to sort of start all over again. Uh, yeah. yeah. They, might have well, they might as well have bootstrapped their way um, and grown a little slower maybe. But then again, the risk is um, alerting other people to the opportunity and then losing out altogether. Yeah. So I think that's just, yeah, just if you can really select your investors based on, you know, their ability to come through uh, or, or open, you know, uh, uh, other capital routes. Yeah. You, I mean, as you're speaking, I can't help but think of a company like Brick that um, might fit the bill. And correct me if I'm wrong, might fit the bill for that kind, for that sort of for, for the discussion we're having. In that, lots of hype up front, um, a lot of excitement in terms of like, um, you know, up front, and then somewhere in the middle, um, it's, it kind of tapers off. And then, just when they probably needed the biggest push in their history. Um, Facebook drops the open cellular bomb, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. And do you find, do you find um, being in Silicon Savannah, I mean, there's a lot of criticism about um, a lot of the kind of money that makes its way to that particular ecosystem. You mentioned institutional uh, investment, uh, you know, the, um, the agencies that basically um, prefer to, to take the grant funding route and, and co-invest you know, in, in that sort of context. Um, some people, the, the criticism of that is that um, it sort of sets up the ecosystem for an unsustainable future. What do you make of that, of those, uh, of that kind of criticism? Yeah, I mean, I ha- I've been on the, on the criticizing side as well um, in the past on, uh, you know, some of the 
uh, incubators and so on. But I, I, in the end, I do think that uh, you know all activity and all attention is in the end is is good uh, because it helps create this hype, which will you know attract good people um, and and lots of funding. I think it's up to the entrepreneur to really make sure they raise the right kind of funding um and 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 be critical enough so uh, and not and not too opportunistic because yeah because some of the funding is there just because they want to put it on their website and say hey we've also done something in in Africa um yeah but I but I do think you know all because Africa is still relatively an unknown territory. If you if you're out, you know, uh, out uh, there outside, um, you know, you, when you're inside, you always think everybody knows about this great story because so many people come and visit. But outside, you know, it's still a relatively small topic on the agenda. You know, I was at SOCAP. It's great, but uh, you know, Africa is really a small part of, part of the agenda. Uh, so um, so I think all, then all attention that it gets, uh, it's great. Um, even if people, you know, um, uh, if their strategies might not not uh, be very sustainable. So in 2005, when you first came to the continent, you first came to Kenya, um, wasn't the popular thing to do to set up shop on the continent? Um, was it your international experience that uh, would lead you to do that and, and recognize the importance of doing that? And the second question I'd like to add on to that is... Um, what sort of challenges have you had uh, really for all intents and purposes being an outsider uh, uh, and, and, and I suppose at this point growing to becoming an insider quite literally, particularly when you consider your, your work with Safaricom and this new fund, mm-hmm. relatively new fund? Yeah, so the reason for setting up shop locally um, was really, uh, and still is, I mean, so I'm sort of still consider myself locally and at least my team is all there. Because if you want to invest um, uh, hands-on into businesses, you have to be close by, um, and uh, you know have have to be very accessible and understand the market they operate in, and and uh, you know have have a have a good network there uh, so you can assist. I think it's very tough to to invest, uh, you know, from from outside unless you have a really good uh, co-investor. Uh, that understands the local dynamics challenges to to set up i think yeah it just takes time to really really understand uh, and build your network uh, understand the lo- local market and 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 you know um and, and build the network so you know every, with every investment done and all the years passing you know you continue learning and um, and and some of those lessons wouldn't have been there if, if you'd already been been in a market for a while. Uh, on the other end, you know, I had the advantage of to already know have, know uh, the investment side, so I've seen, uh, you know, Kenyans setting up funds. Uh, you know, at least having the advantage of understanding the local dynamics, but then they they learned all the lessons of of investing. So yeah, so there's always lot, lots lots of challenges and lots to learn. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, on my end, um, just some of the uh, levels of um, corruption and fraud in, in, in all areas uh, definitely um, was um, very new to me. And um, and I think I had I had to 
um, yeah, changed my, my the way of, of always, you know, trusting people <laughs> uh, and, and really... Did you have to become more street definitely. smart? Yeah, which is uh, at a certain stage, I, I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't like to built in processes where you always have to think through, okay, but what if this happens? <laughs> and uh, My dad calls it the human element where you have to strategize to counter the human yeah. element. And, and that's, of course, <laughs> you, you have that in every, in every country, but just the way, the way uh, things happen are, are different in every, every region. So, um, so that, that, that's the lesson that those are the lessons uh, learned. Then, um, yeah, and, and coming to um, um, Safaricom, so we're actually, I'm, I'm uh, working on two, uh, uh, two initiatives on sort of early stage investment at the moment. Uh, so one is, is, um, is evolving out of Safaricom Spark. So we, um, uh, two years ago, were asked by Safaricom um, to pitch for managing their um, pilot corporate venture fund, and um, uh, because TBL Mirror Fund was fully invested, and had always uh, been interested to move into more early stage and, and more technology oriented investments, uh, took up the challenge, and it really helped us learn a lot uh, about investing in the space, uh, and it ha- and it helped us learn a lot about investing. Um, uh, you know, from a corporate venture fund, uh, with uh, you know, working with a corporate, um, where there are lots of um, lots of added value. So in terms of really um, very quickly understanding um, uh, cert- certain business models um, and uh, sort of uh, you know having access to people within Safaricom to to sort of um, yeah see how they operate and and think of how it can benefit them and what they can do and and yeah the power of that kind of um, added values is great and 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 also yeah the, basically being able to almost get into every deal uh, if you bring that kind of uh, connection uh, on the other hand I think some some deals we couldn't get in because because Safaricom is also not always no you know known as as a nice uh, nice party. So, um, so that's been been very interesting, and uh, following the pilot now being sort of coming to an end, our conviction is that there that there is certainly a need for um, uh, for a larger fund doing these kind of early stage investments in mobile technology. But if you want to do it well, it needs to be at a much bigger scale of a fund and also wider reach outside of Kenya, because most businesses will, uh, if they want to scale, they have to scale outside of Kenya and you have want to be able to to um, uh, provide the, the network to do that. So wait, the Safaricom, so the Safaricom Spark Fund is limited to... Um, Kenya. To Safaricom's footprint. Whereas uh, the TBL Mirror Fund, um, I believe you guys are in at least three three different countries. Yeah, so TBL Mirror Fund was, was yeah, ICT, healthcare, consumer goods in East Africa. Uh, but we ended up investing in Kenya, Uganda. Um, so, so now the new fund we're setting up is called Africa Tech Ventures, which will invest um, in mobile technology companies um, in East Africa, but also in uh, Nigeria and South Africa, if those businesses have plans to expand to East Africa. And this is TBL Mirror Fund uh, backed? No, it's a new fund. This is a totally se- separate fund. Yeah. 
So it would be my follow-up fund after TBL Mirror Fund, but it's a different name because my co-managing partner is different from the one in TBL Mirror Fund. You know, you raised some interesting things um, in, in, your, in your previous statement um, that made me curious. I mean, I'm often quite skeptical of uh, corporate-led venture funds because I, I, I really, in many, in many instances, they really are just um, token PR gestures. Um, and, and, and in some case, like you say, they can, they can have a, a negative impact in terms, at least in terms of um, uh, perception issues in the marketplace when you are going hunting for investment. Compare and contrast, really, how your role as managing partner is different in managing the expectations of some of of your partners in the in in on you've got like Safari Com on one hand and then you've got like you said the 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 overseas mostly overseas um, individual investors that you brought on board for TBL. What are some of the challenges day to day in managing their expectations in managing um, the direction they they'd like you to take uh, their interests what they'd like to get out of a, a, a situation beyond a successful exit hopefully at some point um and, and managing the soft issues of those relationships what would you say are some of those challenges let me into your world as a managing partner of, mm-hmm. of two quite different funds in that yeah. respect yeah and that's a very good question and and i think uh, my answer will also uh tie into the fact that we are now uh, talking to safaricom about investing in this new fund we're setting up as one of the investors and not um continuing a relatively small corporate venture fund. Um, so, so Safaricom, when they um, set up this fund, uh, it, it, it's um, it's set up out of their innovation department um, with the aim to uh, play a different role in uh, uh, in startup world in Kenya, where they um, are always been uh, approached by lots of companies who want to work with them or have to integrate into M-Pesa and uh, and and they really uh, were not uh, very well known for those interactions so either very inaccessible really difficult to integrate uh, technologies and then you know very often people felt that they uh, um, you know, uh, they went to Safaricom to then see Safaricom launch something com- competitive, so stealing their idea. So they wanted to um, to change um, their the perception of the market and also um, benefit more. Of, um, you know, if they would would then improve their uh, their actions towards these companies um, to for those that were really successful to also benefit. Um, so, um, uh, so that's, that's why they were set up initially. Uh, so when we started, when, you know, talking to, um, uh, the IC, so first of all, you know, um, in, with the corporate, so, you know, sometimes people come and go, so there were, were a bit of changes, uh, internally, um, where, uh, which might change or the way that people, uh, look at the fund. Um, and uh, and 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 the dynamics within the corporate also also change. So along the way, um, we felt that indeed sometimes the fund, we, you know, was used for 
PR reasons um, or, or corporate social responsibility. And, uh, and, and so the challenge you have is that they try to change the mandate of the fund. So luckily we had you know, documented that very well and, and documented the process also very well. Um, to ensure that um, yeah we didn't risk to to you know do our due diligence on on companies and then and then coming to the Safaricom I you know dominated IC where they suddenly said well actually now we want to you know to do all, all these different things. And I mean that would have been significant uh, reputational risk for you uh, given your you uh, essentially a disciplined. In investment operator. Absolutely, yeah. So that's um, uh, so that's uh, yeah. I, I think have been uh, challenges, um, and I think also has made it really interesting to sort of understand how corporates look at this and how people are motivated. And in the end, you know, they all uh, yeah don't want to lose their jobs, and, <laughs> and so it's it's really interesting just to to see. And and I and on the other hand, to see. That overall, actually, most uh, most companies are really interested because of Safaricom. You know, they're really interested because you know we're involved and we provide all this added value, but also the added value from Safaricom. So what we what and the strength of the brand, yeah, the strength of the brand, and um, and also so companies coming from uh, outside of the region actually want to exp- start in in Kenya, where they say, well, if we can start with a partner like Safaricom. You know, with the scale yeah. they provide and the yeah. access to the, to to yeah. and the established access to to market yeah. etc. Yeah. We're taking a short break to let you know that GoDaddy makes registering domain names fast, simple, and affordable. GoDaddy is the world's largest domain registrar and is trusted by over 13 million customers around the globe. Now they provide everything you need to get your business set up online, including award-winning 24/7 support. Now, to save 30% on a new domain name or to use any of their other services, go to trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. That's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech to save 30%. And now, back to the conversation. And so how different is that scenario to, to managing what I'd imagine are more perhaps seasoned uh, investors who come on board a fund like TBL? Yeah, so so um, it's very different. My, my, the investors in TBL uh, are private investors mainly. So we had FMO uh, as a seasoned investor, um, but also FMO uh, chain and and most of the DFIs they change uh, strategy every you know two three years. So even there, it's sometimes difficult because one you know period of time you you fit completely in their focus, and the next it's or, or you know, and, and we want to and, go mobile. And, You're yeah, not doing enough and ne- mobile. And they have with, lots of money, know, and then or... the next the government says, "Well, we're stopping this facility," and they suddenly want to exit your fund because they need liquidity. So uh, you know, so that's uh, so working with institutional investors is sometimes um, uh, also tough. And I I see that with some of my co-investors in deals that are DFI backed that sometimes really operate. Not, not in the best interest of the company, but because of certain dynamics happening in their investor base. Where working with uh, private investors and entrepreneurs, they at least really understand 
um, dynamics of the business and, and, and they always think what is best for the business. So that's uh, a joy <laughs> working with those. But uh, yeah, it's working with private. So one day, you know, sometimes they're not uh, accessible or, you know, it, it re- and sometimes they have new passions. And, 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 and so, um, yeah, so it, it brings their own dynamics and it, re- and it requires um, person, lots of personal interactions. Um, so we, we make sure. Or a legacy passes yeah. hands yeah. and the next thing you're dealing with a trust fund baby. No, who, we, yeah, rather... but, but they would think indeed of, <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm now... So, you know, 70 years old, and if I sign up for another fund of 10 years and I'm 80, and, you know, will I still be there? <laughs> anyway, so uh, so it's an interesting... Uh, That's interesting. And what would you say, and I, I imagine most of your investors are primarily based outside of the continent. Would I be right yeah. in assuming that? Yeah. So what, did, what do you think, what is the biggest thing you think they don't get about Africa as a region and individual markets within Africa, which I think is a concept a lot of people based abroad have a hard time understanding, uh, you know, actually exists as a, as, a, as a thing. Like, we are not one country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it, it can be quite opposite. So either it's um, people who, who have, haven't been to Africa a lot, so they, they wouldn't imagine some of the things that we're investing in you know, being possible. Um, and uh, so they would, would be very skeptical and um, uh, of, of, you know, um, be, there being a market for, for mobile payments or, you know, or healthcare. And so they just can't really relate. Uh, and, and I think on the other hand, you have investors who do read up a lot on Africa and they read about this, this hype and this boom, uh, uh, and then um, and then they see the numbers of the, the businesses we invest in, and they, they say, well, you know, they, they would have expected the markets to be much bigger, but indeed the individual countries are just right. all you know, relatively small markets. Uh, you know, my investors are mainly Dutch, so they understand the concept of, you know, they, they understand Europe and it's a bit like Africa with all these small countries and different dynamics. So so that bit they understand. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, either investors or if it's, you know, strategic investors who come and visit Kenya and they say, so we've now heard that there are all these huge, you know, water businesses in Kenya and we want to acquire. And then they find out that the biggest is doing $10 million in turnover. And they're like, okay, well, our mandate is, you know, $50 million sort of minimum <laughs> otherwise we can't even get to the board yeah. so um yeah and that's a huge right. company in, in kenya so yeah so that's some examples of of mis- and i think the other part is when investing and if things go sour the people are used to be able to throw you know lots of money and and talent to businesses to to solve the problem and and, and well we're investing small amounts of money so you usually don't have Lots of money to pay for good people, and good people are extremely scarce. Um, so uh, yeah, so those challenge those are the challenges that people don't really realize. And so um, let's talk about something uh, scary, at least when it comes to what you do for a living. Um, speaking to Tommy Davies uh, recently, um, he indicated to me that he believes a bubble burst is inevitable in 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 Africa's tech ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> give me your thoughts. Um, I hope I'm not, 
I'm not conjuring up bad dreams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, um, it's hard not to see how uh, there, there might be a, an over-enthusiasm in certain directions that are, that are not going to pay off on the continent. What are your thoughts? Um, yes, I, I, I mean, I think lots of, there are lots of bubbles that might burst um, um, because there's been so much capital that's, that's th- been thrown uh, into yeah, real estate and uh, private equity, venture capital, and um, generally uh, valuations have been quite high. And I think certain investors who have come into the area expect um, returns that are not realistic. Um, I think looking at tech, there, um, yeah, certain 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 areas have have definitely been. There. So the one I fear of fear of is in, in the energy space, where everybody wants to, you know, who couldn't invest in Mcopa wants to invest in an Mcopa, and um, then everybody wants to do it in East Africa. So you just know that some of those businesses will fail and people will lose their money. I mean, D-Light just, yeah. well, D-Light most recently just landed $25 million. Yeah. And I'm thinking, whoa, at least at least to my mind, they've got like a, a global outlook and, you know, some traction in places like India and, and South America and that kind of thing. But I'd be a little more uh, worried if it if if it was simply a thrust into to African markets. Yeah. No, I, yeah, me too. So I don't know where where they're going to use capital for. And there, yeah, a couple of other examples. So I think at the moment moment where actually big sums of money are being um, invested, uh, you know, all in the same kind of place, that that is a bit of um, uh, a bubble. And it's more, you know, do people, you know, know that they, you know, what is what will be the result of people losing that money? Um, you know, will they stop investing in Africa? Uh, that might be uh, might be a shame. Um, and I, yeah, I, I also I do think that um, uh, you know some of some of the sort of Silicon Valley founded or led businesses are are definitely completely overvalued. Uh, and and where I'm not sure what the you know not always sure what the, the reasons for investing are if they're really commercial um because yeah the, with those valuations you, you'll just not be able to make a, a return but I, yeah i also see a lot of normal normally priced businesses where still the amount of money raised is so small that um uh yeah i think it's the normal where you know uh one out of three businesses will make it and the others won't and and will also be funded and people will lose their money so um yeah so i don't think it's uh, in in un, uh, you know besides the energy space that it's still it's too much of a of a hype yet uh, i think it's more that there's a lot of uh, talk and so people feel that there is a lot of um uh, investments being done um which is uh, but but no, on the ground, on the perhaps ground, not as much as in, in any business yeah. you want, you, you you can get in. On the flip side of that coin, though, is the idea that there's certain industries that need yeah. far more than they're getting. There are certain sectors within tech that really, unless we really put our backs into it in terms of like massive investment, we can't hope for gro- the kind of growth that, you know, would 
would uh, would 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 justify massive valuations further down the line. I I don't know if e-commerce would qualify for that, but I mean certainly the numbers, the the um uh, the sort of disappointing level of uh, uh, uptake of e-commerce in Nigeria might be might be one area where I might f- I feel just as a as a as a casual onlooker, surely there must. Surely a lot more needs to be done if you really want to convert a market like that into a serious e-commerce, uh, uh, you know, e-commerce using mm-hmm. region. Or e- yeah, I don't know what your thoughts on areas that probably need a, lo- a lot more attention in terms of mm-hmm. cash flowing into them. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think that e-commerce is still um, uh, in its early days. And uh, it, it's always appealing, you know, for people uh, because they understand, you know, they understand the space. Um, but, yeah, the, the amount of people ordering stuff online is still a small, small part of the market. Um, and, um, yeah, so I think, I think indeed if you look at businesses that are being set up to... Um, uh, service the e-commerce industry in the end will end up doing uh, solving other problems first, which is um, you know around in, in logistics and uh, an infrastructure and and I think that in the end will yeah make you know if it will make goods uh, and services more accessible for for a wider market and and I, and I think that's in the end where you know most funds and some funds are set up because they are you know they have to make impact and they have to focus on bottom of the pyramid and others are just set up because they really want to scale businesses. Um, it, it's, it, it's that question of, you know, how can you grow a business from servicing this, you know, uh, small market of, of, you know, um, of the top of the market to, to really scale towards um, people who have much less money to spend. Uh, you know, will will they order something online? Yeah. And what and how and how can you access them? And what is the offering? So uh, and 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 not I don't think too many businesses have um, ha- have business models that that are able to um, provide that kind of skill or take into account how much uh, you know the the, the acquisition costs um, yeah. how how you know how high the acquisition cost of meeting that sort of yeah. demand might mm-hmm. be. And so when was the last time you were surprised um, at how well a deal went or how badly? Yeah, I've, I'm not sure how often I'm uh, surprised. Are you that disciplined an investor no. where you've like, it, it's down to the numbers where it's like oh, everything just TikTok as expected? No, but I think you always expect uh, things to not exactly go as you plan, especially when you invest early stage. Yeah, so I'm, tr- I'm trying to find, think of examples where I was yeah, so I have been positively surprised, I think. So negatively surprised, uh, the last one was um, <laughs> uh, our last investment with TBL, where we invested in a mm-hmm. uh, very early stage chain of hair salons, uh, where we had also invested in mm-hmm. a chain of, of uh, clinics, which is a very scalable model. Uh, and same with pharmacies, etc. But uh, in the hair salon business, although there are a couple of good examples in South Africa and Kenya, it's been very tough and, and w- mainly related to the fact that the hairstylists are not motivated the way you think. So you, you think, well, you know, 
you earn more if you work, you know, if you do more. <laughs> but they basically do their, you know, um, five or six clients a day and they go to go home because <laughs> they think, well, now I've earned enough. So uh, it's been really, so that's, I was surprised. Yeah, I, I, yeah there we, um, we hadn't expected that, that uh, industry to work uh, in that way. And uh, yeah, I felt I, I should have known better it, it being my last investment. Uh, but uh, yeah, luckily our model is such that we always invest a small amount initially and you can write off just a small amount if it doesn't work. That's a very interesting example because I, I have a Ghanaian um, barber and I follow him wherever he goes, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been, I, I think this is probably onto his yeah. third salon right now. I, I don't even remember their names. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> wherever yeah. he is, I go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, it's, so a, it's an yeah. intriguing industry. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it will do well, but um, yeah. but the, yeah, the business model is yet to be uh, discovered. Um, if if you want to drive right. it for scale, right. I think individual salons do will always do well because there's just a lot of money going around. Um, and then uh, yeah, my positive surprise um, was with uh, our. Yeah, first investment in, in Safaricom Spark, where we invested in Sandy, um, which, you know, is this early stage oh. business that uh, you would expect them not to make their numbers, of course, because uh, and they actually did, they actually overachieved our numbers, being really one of my first um, businesses. So um, tell, tell us a little yeah. bit about what Sandy does. Look, yeah. I'm familiar with the with the business, but what what does Sandy do? Sandy is um, a, a marketplace for uh, uh, last mile deliveries, um, and uh, where they basically transport both goods and people. Uh, so they started off um, with a fleet of of um, boda bodas, um, 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 so motorbikes where which are not so they basically uh, have um like uber you know these riders are on their platform so they don't own these bikes but uh the riders are are branded sandy and um um and when you want to do a delivery the rider closest by will come up uh, and pick it and and will deliver it for you and you can on your well phone follow where they are um, or indeed deliver you if, if that's what you exactly. need. Exactly. <laughs> so then they moved on. Uh, so I think where the surprise was is that they initially that that what was the story, and they thought they would really grow based on the growth of e-commerce. Um, mm -hmm. wh what they then found was that uh, there is uh, the you know the the, the the problem they're solving is much wider, where you know um, uh, traffic is bad and uh, infrastructure is expensive and there are just lots of businesses that are looking to deliver things if it's you know pharmacy uh, a chain of pharmacies or hospitals um food delivery uh, all or, you know all kinds of things uh, people wanting to have delivered really uh, complicated things and want to make sure that it's well done um so um and and up to one of our businesses that's uh that um sells um water and 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 soda water or uh, soda drinks and where they wanted to expand heavily within Nairobi but didn't have the money to invest in fleet and they just have sandy delivered everything uh, so we're send and you know um uh, delivering things to supermarkets uh, so they've expanded from 
having boda boda to also having small um, uh, mini trucks so they can uh, deliver bigger or more things as well. Into basically a courier business. It's a courier business, uh, logistics business. And then their corporate clients ask, well, can you also do our taxi services so that we, you know, uh, because we can just use the same platform. So that's when they also moved yeah. into taxi uh, for the same corporate clients. And I th it's a take that Uber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, we, and we've asked them to not uh, announce that they're taking on Uber because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> well, they didn't say it. I did. <laughs> yeah. So, so they've really, yeah. uh, yeah, they, they've exceeded their targets because, because they're, you know, so many, so because the demand for that kind of logistics is so much bigger. The problem is so much bigger than, um, yeah, we thought. Well, that's a that's an excellent case study, um, which is a great way to to bring to an end the probably the the heavy hitting part of our conversation. Um, the heavy stuff's all over. You'll be relieved to know um, it's all downhill from here. Okay. So, just uh, some fun mm -hmm. questions uh, to end things off. Uh, what would you say is your guilty pleasure? Um, what is my guilty pleasure? Um, I don't know. Do you, reality TV. <laughs> no, I don't watch a lot of TV. It's probably uh, okay. uh, the fact that I eat chocolate every every evening, which I shouldn't. Um. Oh, wow, every <laughs> evening? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. If, if that, if that's All it. right, well, that certainly <laughs> counts. Uh, what was the last great book you read? Gosh, I've read so many good books uh, recently. Uh, and I don't read a lot of the business. I don't read the business books. So it's all fiction. Well, you're living, you're living the business. So. I shouldn't, uh, <laughs> yeah. So um, I read this book called We're All Completely Besides Ourselves, I think it's called, by, um, okay. let me just, uh, since I read, read on Kindle, I, uh, I'm really um, bad at actually remembering <laughs> titles and, mm. and writers. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it's one of those, her father is a psychologist and it's a test um, to see how how the chimpanzee will do, you know, will learn from the humans. And just regarding the fact that mm -hmm. the girl might actually, um, uh, you know, become more like the chimp. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was a very interesting, um, it was really, really well written and uh, in a way uh, somehow felt it was a bit applicable uh, moving moving back into sort of normal more normal Netherlands world and seeing my girls who are so used to to not wear shoes and <laughs> have to sort of fit in How? fit into this uh, yeah sort of quite different different setting in the Netherlands uh, yeah which which um, I also hadn't really expected is it socially unacceptable to walk barefoot in, in Holland um, so it's um, yeah, I think a lot of people uh, things are not not spoken of, but uh, yeah, we had a big mirror where I went. So our, our nannies here kept on resigning <laughs> for mo the most re ridiculous reasons, where I just really felt like you know they're describing us like we're coming out of the bush or something. But <laughs> and, and, oh wow, yeah. it was was it on some. Um, you, you make me think of Downton Abbey, where um, where the staff sometimes are, are so much more um, elitist yeah. and and classist than the, than yeah, the nobles they are. themselves. Yeah, I mean, people here, you know, they're all completely into eat, you know, not eating 
any 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 normal food anymore. So uh, so yeah, which I didn't didn't really yeah we 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 eat gluten and uh, normal yogurt. <laughs> to, to oh my that, word, yeah, the yeah, poison yeah, yeah. you feed your children! <laughs> oh my yeah. word, wheat. <laughs> so anyway, so I, that's I my... totally get you. That's so interesting. So I I love how how readily you you're able to apply something you've read. Uh, uh, to to your to your life is that is that what you do normally? Are, are you astute at 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 basically drawing? I don't want to say inspiration, but drawing metaphors from say maybe your business world into your life or stuff you're reading into your life or you know is is that is that how you roll generally? Do you read stuff and look for yourself in it? Yes, definitely. So I think uh, yeah, I read and I try to relate when the people tell stories. I try to relate and solve, and I think in business, in the business I do, it's extremely important that um, to to win trust, it's to to find linkages to uh, what 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 you know, um, and um, yeah, especially if things don't go well or whatever, just just say you know I've experienced similar things sort of. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I think that's uh, how I'm wired. Right. And so who would you like to trade places with for a day? Li- um, living, uh, alive or dead? Who would you trade places with for a day? Yeah, so uh, it's always you'd, you'd like to give a really uh, original answer there, right? Um, I... I I ask these questions myself when interviewing, and I always hope that people don't say Richard <laughs> Branson or whatever. But um, uh, <laughs> no. or Elon Musk. Or <laughs> I'd rather you told the truth. No, so I actually don't. You know, I don't have this. So I, I know you have to give this answer, but it's not that I uh, I fantasize and think. <clears throat> I wish I could, but <clears throat> I'm currently watching this uh, series, House of Cards, where. You know, I would would love to uh, trade one day with um, with uh, Obama to just understand how you know the, how challenges would you know how, how hectic life could be compared to my then relatively normal life. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> so you you're, you're you're looking for an extreme that would make your life yeah. seem tame. <laughs> well, just to understand, okay. how, yeah, just to see how right, that. Fair uh, enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and I, and I think that must be must be a fascinating, and so, a fascinating day. So, yeah. Unless you pick a day where he's like kissing babies and. I'm sh- I'm sure every day is uh, is still interesting there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet it is right because I mean we only I mean we only get to find out the tip of the iceberg. I mean that's I can imagine the stuff that never makes it to the news cycle. And so, uh, what makes you angry aside from uh, snobbish maids? Uh, snobbish uh, house help <laughs> um, like absolutely livid like guaranteed like if if you, we ended this interview and you encountered this thing like you'd like your yeah. blood would boil mm-hmm. guaranteed um, yeah so I'm not angry very easily but um, when I do it's usually around people who who don't who I thought I trusted and who don't keep their their word um so I think then it's more okay yeah I always tell my children I'm not angry but I'm very disappointed <laughs> so 
so you have that in mm-hmm. common with my wife. You you are you like you and the truth are buddies and whenever the truth is whenever the truth is raped or violated in any way mm-hmm. you're not a happy person. Yeah. So uh second last question, what podcast do you never miss? Which podcast I don't do, do you never podcasts. miss? <laughs> and I won't so <laughs> well we shall scurry along very swiftly to the final question <laughs> and try not to be angry and try not to be offended on our way um well you should start with the african tech conversations podcast i and will then, definitely course, do that the african yeah. tech roundup <laughs> you know that's the obligatory pr uh a spin you knew i'd give a final question mm-hmm. um is there a question i haven't asked you that you wish i had no i think you've really you've really covered everything it wasn't yeah, hoping to, and my PR person is also not telling me you should have you should have told me this. Uh, of course, in another day or time, would love to hear more about you uh, because I'm not used oh. to talk about myself that much. And um, yeah, I will listen to your podcast. I think it's a time a case of priority where I uh, yeah I, I don't I don't have the time, but I should pr- probably prioritize. Maybe podcasts do well when when running if they you know do well when when running. <laughs> yeah, when you they're great for running. I, I find they're great for dishwashing. Uh, um, they're great for dishwashing uh, in between when, when when you don't have house help. Um, but yeah, I totally I totally understand what you're saying. Of all the of all the type of media that I consume on the reg, on a regular basis, podcasts are probably the easiest to put off. You know, and 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 rightly so. I I t- I tend to savor them like a good book, and so sometimes I don't enjoy um, multitasking while I'm listening to to a good po- podcast. Or sometimes you feel obligated to sort of concentrate and 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 soak it in as opposed to just enjoy it, which is which is fair given the amount of work it takes to make a podcast. But um, you should definitely give it a try. And I mean, I totally understand. You've got like you. Am I right? Like six, six board seats that to attend to. Um, so we'll forgive you. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a little bit more, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a little more than that. Yeah, no, I'm count. I don't think I'm counting wrong. At least seven or eight here. Um, so yep. uh, thank you so much for speaking to me, and um, we'll certainly be looking out for all the you know the moves that you do through TBL Mirror Fund as well as you know the 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 Safaricom Spark Venture Fund and yeah a quick shout out to the new fund that you're starting uh, do you want to do you want to do that a quick plug what should we look out for you say um, you said earlier that it's it's going to be mobile tech focused yeah so it's called Africa Tech Ventures um, right. which we uh, aim to have a first close of um, in um, sort of March to May next year. So, um, yeah, so we're looking for... And how big? And how big um, a fund are you growing here? Yeah, fi- uh, $50 million. Okay. Um, and so there we're looking for businesses that really have potential to scale, uh, technology-enabled uh, in areas of education, uh, energy, uh, healthcare, financial services, um, employment, and sort of um, wider um, you know, consumer and um, uh, access to to um, consumer goods, and um, where we also look to to create uh, or to show that impact is created in those industries. Um, so for now, I'm I'm fundraising myself, uh, and uh, but we're also already looking into businesses which we could warehouse 
So um, yeah, so we we reach out both to interested investors into our fund in, into the fund, but also you know uh, businesses that uh, would fit that bill. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and many other things today. Um, I, I sense that you shared a lot more than you thought you would. Thank you for listening.